The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, take us into that Pharisee's house and sit us at the table. Help us to look into your eyes and then to look across the table into the eyes of the Pharisee as the woman bursts into the home. Let us look into her eyes as well. Then help us to imagine what it would be like to be in each place of the table. Speak to us, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. You know, it was a pretty remarkable thing what this, this Pharisee did. See, the Pharisees, they were the religious 
lawyers, if you will, in Jesus's day. There, there were, of course, the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees. There were two sort of competing camps. But the Pharisees were the ones who really thought they knew the law forward and backward. And they were intent on protecting the law. And there, there was no distinction between secular law and sacred law. It was all one and the same for them. He had invited Jesus into his home to eat. Jesus, a great blasphemer, breaker of Sabbath laws, someone who dared to eat with tax collectors. And this Pharisee has invited him into his home to sit at his table to eat a meal with him? Unheard of. Why would this religious leader, this Pharisee, do such a thing in such a public way? As you remember from, from the text this morning, it wasn't just a little private meal between the Pharisee and Jesus. There were other people around that table. There were others who were observing, almost like they were brought in to be witnesses to this, this momentous occasion. Why did he do it? Why didn't he meet with Jesus at night if he were really kind of interested in knowing Jesus and what this kingdom of God was all about that Jesus spoke about so often? Why wouldn't he do as Nicodemus did and come in the middle of the night hiding behind bushes and in the shadows so that no one would see him? So that no one would condemn him for being in the presence of such a rabble-rouser? Why would he do this in such a public way? Maybe, maybe he was put up to it. You know, appointed by the other Pharisees, his other, his other friends. Maybe they had all been kind of under the, under the tree in the parking lot talking about this Jesus. What, what are we going to do about him? He's, he's, he's a problem for us. And so maybe they all drew straws and he got the short straw. And now he's the one who has to invite Jesus into his home. You know, he was the establishment's emissary trying to find out about this, this revolutionary who had such a large following of the common people. Now, the Pharisee certainly didn't do all the customary things that would be expected, which suggests that he really wasn't all that interested in welcoming Jesus into his home. No, no, Jesus even pointed out his, uh, his lack of hospitality. He says, you gave me no water for my feet. The customary act of, of a host in Palestine, people walked the dusty roads in their sandals, and when they came to someone's home that had invited them, then, then the host would see that servants or even themselves would, would wash their feet to, to soothe their, their weary ankles and toes. But no, no. Jesus says, you gave me no water for my feet. And at that point, the woman had already arrived, and, and Jesus uh, you know, reports that look at look at this woman that you call a sinner. She she has wetted my feet with her tears, but you gave me no water for my feet. He goes on to say, "You gave me no kiss. You you didn't you didn't give me that 
customary kiss that would show that you wanted me there, that you, that you saw us as brothers. No, no, and, but this woman, she kisses my feet of all things. You did not anoint my head with oil. Yet this woman brings an alabaster jar of oil and anoints his head, the, the symbol of, of soothing and healing. No, this Pharisee had no, had no interest in, in welcoming Jesus in that way, and Jesus took note of it and made clear that he saw these, these lack of acts of hospitality. No, this was going to be an inquisition. That was the purpose of the meeting in the Pharisee's house. What the Pharisee did not realize is that he was the one who was to be judged. Now, I'd like to suggest that the Pharisee made two fatal mistakes in his encounter with Jesus. The first one was this. He did not think the woman deserved forgiveness, the woman that came into the house. He did not think she deserved forgiveness. What's interesting is he kind of speaks to himself, his own lack of forgiveness. But Jesus seems to understand what's going on inside of his mind because he responds to what the Pharisee is thinking. Because the Pharisee says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Maybe he didn't even have to speak the words because maybe it was just written all over his face as she comes into the house and he just looks at her with this disdain. And, and, and you could almost hear the words. You have that little bubble, you know, over his head. Jesus could read it, you know. Even though he didn't speak it with his mouth, it was clearly coming out in his, in his body language that he was looking at this woman and going, how can this Jesus do what he's doing? He's supposed to be a prophet and he's letting her touch him. How did he know she was a sinner? Was it the way she dressed? Was it the way she kind of moved as she entered into the house? Was it her body language? What, how did he know that? You know, there's the kind of uh, assumption here that even we as readers centuries later kind of assume that her sinfulness is probably of a sexual nature, though it doesn't say it. And even there was a pope several centuries ago that even implied that this was Mary Magdalene, and that's why Mary Magdalene has gotten such a, a bad rap over the years is because, ah, see, she's that sinful woman, the woman of the night. Well, none of that is there. Is that what he's assuming? Is he doing what we have done over the centuries? Have we already assumed what her sin was? If so, was he on her list? <laughs> Maybe that's how he knew. <laughs> Maybe he had visited her many times. Ah. Does he believe that once a sinner, always a sinner? Is that the maybe he heard something about her youth and maybe she had kind of had a you know a transgression years ago when she was a teenager, a wild teenager, and, and now she's older and wiser and but yet ah she's a sinner. Once a sinner, always a sinner. Is there no redemption available to her? 
Apparently not in his mind. But more importantly, his second mistake was this. He didn't think that he needed forgiveness. Not only did he make the mistake of thinking that she did not deserve forgiveness, but more importantly, he didn't think he needed it. And that's precisely why he couldn't forgive her. You know, I'm never more unforgiving in my life than when I am convinced that I have done no wrong. And I have plenty of evidence to that effect. Every time I get behind the wheel of my car, I am the most unforgiving person that I know. Because I think I obey all the laws. I turn my signal on every time I change lanes or turn left or right. I pause when that, that pedestrian stands at the crosswalk. I stop and I, I let other people take the parking space that belonged to me. <laughs> and boy, am I unforgiving. I can tell you every car that was in front of me what mistake they did on their way to their destination because I am convinced I'm perfect not. <laughs> Have you been in a theater lately and gotten annoyed because somebody was still texting or answering the phone call and you get really upset with them? I'll dare them do that. And just about that time your phone rings. <laughs> okay. Okay. You see, we're never more unforgiving of others than when we are convinced that we have done no wrong. Gospel of Mark records another Pharisee asking Jesus, what, what is the great commandment? And Jesus responds, this is in the 12th chapter of Mark. He responds by saying, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the, the other is, like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, clearly, you know, the question was, what's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus is speaking of commandments. And over the years, that's how we've treated that, that the two great commandments, love God, love your neighbor. That's what you're supposed to do. That's, that's Jesus commanding us to do that. And so that little phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, has become a kind of rule, a, a kind of commandment of God. That's what you should do no matter how hard it is, no matter how much you don't want to do it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's horrible. It's, you wake up in the morning and go, can I do it? I don't know if I can do it. But you know, I, as I've thought about this over my lifetime, I think those words have another meaning that maybe is far more, far more valuable to me. And that is that Jesus is not giving us a commandment so much as he's just telling us a truth about life. He's just simply saying that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you look in the mirror and you see someone who is worthy of love and you see someone who has so much to offer and you see someone full of joy and expectation and hope, you're going to go out in the world and you're going to see a whole world full of people just like you. And you're going to see people with great expectations and great hope in their lives and you're going to go out and you're going to love them and you're going to forgive them 
But when you look in that mirror and you see somebody that just has made all manner of mistakes and not worthy of forgiveness and you don't even know if you want to forgive them and you just see somebody that just has made a mess of their lives, you're going to go out in the world and you're going to find the same people. And every face you look into, every eye that you look into, you're going to see yourself. And if you see in the mirror someone who's bitter and angry and upset, you're going to find a world full of people just like you. The Pharisee looked in the mirror and he saw someone that didn't need forgiveness. So why should she? Why, why does he have to forgive her? He doesn't get it. So why should he give it to her? He didn't think he had done anything wrong. He didn't need forgiveness, so she doesn't. So she wasn't about to get it from him. It is at that moment, as Jesus kind of reads his mind, as the woman is at his feet, that Jesus decides to offer him a, a new truth something that he needed to learn. Jesus tells him a parable, a very short parable, only a few sentences, a parable about two debtors who owed a creditor a fair amount of money. One of them owed two, uh, 500 denarii, and the other owed 50. Now, a denarius at the time of Jesus was probably worth about a day's wage, so 500 denarii would be roughly about a year and a half worth of wage. So think about your own, what you make in a year, and then add half again as much to that. And imagine you being in debt to that much to, that much to a creditor, and that, that it's time for you to pay the debt, and you don't have it. Now, the other one owed 50 denarii, which is roughly a month and a half. Now, imagine if you owed a month and a half of wage. That's not an insignificant amount, but it's far more doable than a year and a half, right? Well, Jesus tells the parable about how the creditor forgives the debt of both. Both of them are forgiven. Both of them can walk away with a clean slate. They don't owe anything anymore. And Jesus then asks the Pharisee, who do you think loved the creditor more? And what's interesting is the Pharisee says, well, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose it was the one who was forgiven the most. And then what also is interesting is Jesus then replies, you have judged rightly. You see, Jesus understood this Pharisee was all about judging. He was judging the woman. He was judging Jesus. And in this story, he's judging who would likely be the one to love the creditor more. That was the new truth that Jesus was trying to suggest to the Pharisee. Those who are forgiven much love much. Of course the one who was relieved of a year and a half worth of wages that he owed 
this creditor, of course he would feel exalted and just full of gratitude. Love for the one who did the forgiving. Well, see, the truth is the Pharisee needed as much forgiveness as the woman. He just didn't know it. If he couldn't accept God's forgiveness, how was he ever going to love the one who forgives? That's really what Jesus was saying to this Pharisee. You you want to obey the law. You want to do all the right things. You want to love God. But you cannot even see and accept the forgiveness God gives to you and to this woman. So how will you ever learn to love me? He reminds me a little bit of the elder son in the story of the prodigal son. You remember how the prodigal son took off the younger son, squandered all the inheritance of his father. He came back and the father welcomes him with open arms and throws a party for him. And the whole time the eldest son is out in the field and he's fuming, he's bitter, he's angry. He's he's not about to go into that house where his father's other son was being feted. No, no, he was going to stay out in the field and waller in his bitterness. He didn't want to forgive his brother, and ultimately he didn't see how much he needed to be forgiven. And you know what's painfully true about that whole circumstance is that the elder son was hurting himself more than he was hurting anyone else. So why do we need to forgive? Because ultimately forgiveness helps the one who forgives. We need to be forgiven. And if we can learn to forgive others, we can begin to see in their faces and in their mistakes our own we will begin to see our common frailty, our our common sinful humanity. Forgiving others and forgiving ourselves, you see, are two sides of the same coin. You can't do one without the other. You You cannot forgive others if you have not allowed God to forgive you, if you have not received that forgiveness. And 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 you cannot accept that forgiveness if you are unable to forgive others around you. When we can't forgive, our lack of forgiveness begins to eat us up inside and ultimately destroys us. It hurts us even more than the one we do not forgive. You may have heard the story of the two monks that were walking along the the river bank. They had taken a vow never to speak to a woman, certainly never to touch a woman. And they came upon a damsel in distress who was weeping because she was dressed up in her finest garb and she could not cross the river without getting them wet. And so one of the monks offered his services and he lifted her up and carried her across the stream and placed her down. It only took a few moments. He put her on the ground and then the two monks continued their journey. 
And the one who did not carry the woman began to fume. You could almost see steam coming out of his ears. By every hour that passed, he just got that much more angry with his friend until finally he could hold it in no more, and he just burst out and he said, How dare you, brother, for lifting up that woman, touching her. You know you've taken a vow, and you've carried her across the stream. How dare you? Didn't you know what you were doing and why it was so wrong? And the other monk looked at him with gentleness in his eyes, and he said, You know, I carried her across the river and sat her down hours ago. But you have never put her down since. Isn't that what we do when we don't forgive? We just carry the bitterness as a burden on us, not on them. The Pharisee sat at that table across from the Savior of the world, but he couldn't see him because he was so blinded by his lack of forgiveness for the woman. My um, foster mother, Zira Frances Morgan, lived with her mother and her Aunt Frances, her mother's um, sister, which I assume is where she got her middle name, in a little town called Gadsden, Alabama, for a good part of her life. She, Zira, lived with her mother and Aunt Frances until she married for the first time in her mid-40s. She married Clyde Fogelman, who was some 10 years her younger. He was a young GI that was stationed in the town there. And of course, after the wedding, she moved out of the house. Aunt Frances was furious. Aunt Frances lived into her late 80s and she died a bitter woman because she was still angry with Clyde for having taken Zira out of their home. You see what lack of forgiveness does? Oh, I, I don't even know if Clyde really knew what she felt. But I heard her story over and over again as if it had occurred that very morning. Why do we need to forgive? Because we are all in desperate need of forgiveness. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. We're human. And sometimes we hold on to our lack of forgiveness. Give us your spirit. Empower us to accept your forgiveness and to give it away. Amen.